Hello, and welcome to PW FaithCast. FaithCast is a series of interviews with some of today's top authors who write in the categories of religion, spirituality, and inspiration. I'm Marcia Nelson, Religion Reviews Editor for Publishers Weekly. I'm delighted to be able to chat today with Paul Young. Paul's very first book, The Shack, hit the spot for a large number of people. It was published in 2008 and has gone on to sell more than 18 million copies, but there's more. Paul's latest book is Crossroads. The paperback is due out in September from Faith Words, as well as a 365-day devotional called Crossroads Reflections. Faith Words is the sponsor of today's FaithCast. Crossroads is centered on Anthony Spencer. Spencer is a hard-charging businessman who falls into a coma following a cerebral hemorrhage. The coma becomes the setting for him to review his life choices and relationships. He has a number of encounters with different figures, not all of whom are exactly real. That statement needs some explanation, and so let's ask author Paul Young about it. Welcome, Paul. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Tell us how you came up with the idea for Crossroads, please. I tend to be uh, more of an exploratory writer than um, an agenda-driven. I'm not trying to get people from point you know, A to point D or something. I'm more exploring a different question. And so the deck is full of questions. It's... Uh, Questions about the character and nature of God, questions about evil and tragedy, and uh, how can God be good in the middle of all that? And um, the question in Crossroads, is a, a, a couple different questions, but the main one is, if you've built a fortress around your own heart, and you're resistant to relationship, and you don't want grace, and you don't want to change... How does grace and transformation penetrate into that place? And Anthony is, contrary to Mackenzie and the shack, Anthony is a pretty despicable human being. He has, for his own reasons, uh, pretty much protected himself. And so the question is, how does, how does change get inside that kind of resistance, especially to relationship? Ah, well, indeed, you anticipate my question. Um, let's talk some more from a writer's point of view. You're working with a, a guy who's hard to like. Anthony is, is deeply flawed. Um, is it hard to, to create a character whom people won't like? Were you worried about it? Oh, no. I was never worried about it. Cause <laughs> I, you know, I write for my friends and family, and they're going to love me anyway. So um, that's, <laughs> that's never really an issue. The question was intriguing because, you know, I, I know from my own uh, spiritual journey and my relationship with Jesus, and uh, I know how resistant I was to mm-hmm. trust. You know, I'd, uh, I'm an evangelical, fundamental missionary kid and preacher's kid, so... Um, you know, I'm pretty hardcore as far as uh, the kind of religious background performance orientation that I grew up with. And, and um, you know, the one thing about us religious people is we know how to hide very well. We've just couched it in different language. And I, I think a lot of us are like Tony. Um, I've gotten great response in terms of people's um, response and identification with the character, especially uh, people who are involved in business and, uh, and ministry even. So, um, creating a despicable character was par- part of the fun of this because 
you know, I are him in some respects. And Uh then I know people who definitely uh, live inside that world. And that's absolutely been created. So it's, it's not like people can't identify with it. They know someone. They know a Tony if they're not Tony uh, themselves. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Um, t- uh, tell me about the imagination that goes into some of the other characters. You you do have a cast of characters. I mean, I could I could see this easily <laughs> translating to to a movie. <laughs> yeah, that was my, that was my wife Kim's first response, and she uh-huh. likes Crossroads better than she liked The Shack. So uh-huh. that's that's always a good sign. Uh-huh. And. Um, you know, the part of the reason that I think she does is is that Crossroads is a broader story and it involves more character development. There are quite a cast of characters, unexpected yes. so, and, and part, uh, you know, most of our damage, I think, as human beings comes through relationship and, and the damage that's inherent in broken people trying to survive inside a broken world. And, and, the the irony is that our healing is also going to come through relationships. And so Tony is caught in between life and death um, in that space that I think Charles Dickens explores in The Christmas Carol and C.S. Lewis explores in The Great Divorce. And, and, um, and so in that space, you're kind of allowed to play with all kinds of things. And Tony, I mean, he's successful on the outside. He would be typically called successful by anybody in the world and and but he's broken he just a he's just a wasteland on the inside well i get to juxtapose him with people who some of which are are uh whom are broken on the outside but are very much alive on the inside and and not people that uh, tony normally would have interacted with but in this space he is uh, invited into an a broader conversation than the little fortress that he's built for himself. Uh-huh. And it's inside that that you get to explore some pretty cool stuff. Um, I love how it turned out. I love the characters and I and love the uniqueness of some of that exploration. Did you, it, it, you sound so excited. Did you feel that way about the shack or, or did you just really warm to, the, to um, the, the additional imaginative possibilities here with this cast of characters? Well, I think good creativity creates more space than it uses and uh, opens up a space for people to bring their own world inside and hear for themselves. Uh, I loved The Shack and I loved because I wrote it for my kids. Right. Um, You know, we have six children. Our youngest is 20. And and um, and so I'm writing for the for my children and my grandchildren someday they'll read crossroads and and it's really living i there were a lot of things that i thought were going to happen both in the shack and crossroads that didn't and there were a lot of things where we ended up where i didn't see that coming at all and but that's mm-hmm. part of the creative process that you you get to uh, follow the the storyline of your characters and mm-hmm. uh, and they kind of yeah, I think it's part of the playfulness of the Holy Spirit, you know, that you get to participate in creating something out of nothing. And um, and uh, and I think that resonates deeply within us, especially because every human being is a story anyway. 
Uh-huh. It's it's interesting to me to to listen to you talk about the about the characters who seem so obviously alive it, um, for you the the man who created them. As I was reading the book, I had a real resonance about, and uh, perhaps I'm just a shallow reader who judges books by the cover. I had a real resonance for wherever it was that that Tony might have been this sort of space between spaces. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I would call a lim- and what others I think might call a liminal space. Um, Correct. D- did you ever see the the movie called What Dreams May Come? That was a Robin Williams movie, if it, I remember right. It, it was indeed, and yeah, um, yeah, I remember that. And and you know, there were a lot of things that were incredibly imaginative about it. Yes, and and some things that that were like, oh, for real. But it was quite a good exploration of that space. And I think there are a lot of writers who explore that space, and especially as we become more familiar with near death experiences, and yes. we have people in our world that go into coma and then back out. And, right. And um, so, you know, there's obviously way more going on here uh, than we thought. And I've been around now people who have stories about that space, uh-huh. and uh, it helped create. Uh, just the environment in order to write Crossroads, and 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 that was very cool. I I'll tell you one quick story. There was a please. I have a family who lives up in British Columbia, and uh, in their little town, they have a doctor who had moved in from South Africa, and uh, he's um, he had had some sort of Damascus Road experience with Jesus that had really transformed his life, but he had no religious background or education, and and so kind of on his own, he was trying to figure out, okay, so what does this mean, and and how would how would I pray for somebody because he didn't know, and um, and he's the one that told me this story. I was up in up in their town um, at a little gathering that in, included my sister, and and he was there, and and so he's saying, I, I have to tell you this story because. There was he works with those who are in the process of dying, which is a very um, special place, and those who yes. work in hospice know that it's yes. sort of holy ground, and um, and so part of what he would do, he said, so I decided, I, I felt God telling me to pray for people uh, who are in the process of dying. And so I would do that. He said I would I would just come out and they would be, you know, close to passing away, the respirations would be down, whatever. And I'd just take their hand and then I'd pray for them and and he said I didn't know really what to say and I was felt like I was sort of making it up and and um there was this one gal who was obviously close to passing, elderly, and um she uh she, she is uh her respirations are down to a couple of minutes. He he said, I knew that it was just a matter of an hour or so. So I went in to pray for her, and I came through the curtain, um, the back of her room, and and realized that her family had already gathered around her. And so I didn't want to interrupt them, and I didn't know what to do. So I just sort of backed through the curtain and closed the curtain and turned my back, and quietly under my breath, he said, I prayed what I knew how, which was pretty innocuous. It was kind of like, God, I just pray that you would bless this woman, and and keep her. And so he said, so from there I, w- I walked out to the nurse's station and I, I told him that she was close to passing and that, um, I was going to go home because my, my shift had been over for quite some time. And, and, uh, rather than wait for her to pass, I would just sign the, the death papers and then they could fill in time of death, which is not unusual. And, uh, so he said, so I signed all the paperwork and I went home. 
He says, next morning, I'm doing my early morning rounds. And I walk into this room where she had been mm-hmm. thinking that it would be empty. And she's sitting up in bed. <laughs> and she spots me coming through the door. And she crooks her finger at me, she, he says, and kind of uh, says, come here. And I go over to her and she says to me, I have to tell you. That was the worst prayer I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so I asked God if it would be okay for me to come and stay an extra day so I could teach you how to pray. <laughs> and so she said, so he said, yeah, so I'm here to teach you. So he said, she taught me how to pray. And the next day she passed. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you get involved in some of these stories and, I can and tell. you see I the can reality <laughs> of it. Oh, my goodness. And you're going... There is so much that we don't understand. You know, even if you look at the New Testament scriptures and you have Elijah and uh, Moses showing up on the Mount of these guys have been dead for a couple thousand years. And they're having a conversation in the historical narrative with Jesus about what he is facing in Jerusalem. Uh-huh. I mean, where's the mystery in our lives that we want to codify everything and figure it all out? And uh, so playing in that space is, is uh, not unusual, but it's, it's quite a beautiful mystery. Well, it really is is so clear to me from everything you've said in our conversation that 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 you really let your imagination have full play. Um, and I want to ask you specifically about some of the characters I, I mentioned in introducing you or in summarizing the book that um, not all the characters are exactly real. And so answer this as specifically as you want. Would you like to talk about the influence of John Bunyan, who is the, the famous Christian allegorist, the allegory writer of Pilgrim's Progress, on this book and on some of the characters and their interaction? Uh, I think if I was going to talk about someone who had a profound influence, it would be much Lewis than it ever would be John Bunyan. John Bunyan was, he was a fascinating human being. I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan personally of allegory and the shack was never intended to be allegory it was much more of a parable and crossroads is a parable as well there was this quote by eugene peterson that uh likened what he anticipated would be the impact of the shack likened it to pilgrim's progress but that's the only real john bunyan connection now lewis Okay. Is all over. He's. I mean, he's. He's embedded in in many ways inside of Crossroads, and uh, hmm. of course was a huge influence on me anyway. And uh, um, so, as, as a character, um, I I built around uh, Lewis to some degree. There is a character in Crossroads that I. You know, when you get to write stuff, you get to play around with things that. Yes. Uh, I don't even know if I've ever done this exactly, but the character of Cabby who is in Crossroads, yes. is actually a real human being, Nathan Vredeveld. So here in a, in a work of fiction, I've got a totally nonfiction human being. You know, we've known uh, Nathan's parents since, uh, since before we were married, which will be 34 years this September. So uh, sadly, in a world full of brokenness. And Nathan is a Down yes. syndrome boy. And, and uh, about almost four years, well, a little, right around four years ago, he was uh, attending a Portland Trailblazer game here in the city and decided to play hide-and-seek, got a little box that they were in, and before they could find him, he freeway that was next door and, and was hit and killed by two, two different oh. cars. Oh and uh, so, so the creation or the insertion, really, of Nathan as cabbie into the storyline uh, became quite an adventure itself because here I, I'm juxtaposing 
this hard driving Tony, yes. uh, successful business guy who's got his foot on the gas and he is he doesn't really care what happens in relationship, but his inside world is dead uh, compared to Cabby, who is a Down syndrome boy who's side world is broken, but his inside world is very much alive. And in order to, to play off, it really, it was a wonderful thing. And to involve Nathan's family, his mom and his dad, particularly his mom, who I talked to for hours about different stories and things like that, mm-hmm. was, was really remarkable as well. So, you know, when you, when you write fiction, you get, to, you get to just participate in sort of a river that you don't know where it's going to take you, but you're just thrilled to be uh, floating a log on it. Well, you get to tell a different kind of truth, but um, I want to I shift the conversation, actually, because most people who are listening to us, I suspect, are going to know that, oh, yeah, that's the guy who wrote The Shack. Um, right. So, <laughs> the, the Shack is really the 800-pound gorilla here, here in, in the room. What I want to ask about is, is um, some of the attention that The Shack attracted was criticism for its unorthodox portrayal of God and the Trinity. God was a large black woman, and the Holy Spirit was a gardener. Well, the father, to be specific. Right, named Papa, yeah. Um, so, yeah. how is the theology within Crossroads um, going over with um, people who are maybe a little bit less um, receptive to... to the- it's actually, uh, I think the shack took a lot of the hits that Crossroads would have. <laughs> and so, so I think that I think Crossroads has slipped behind. It's in the wake of the shack in a way that's really quite remarkable so far. Okay, um, the reviews have been incredibly positive, and and that's even from pretty staid and conservative religious folks. So, which are my people. So you know, Pharisees and folks like that are my people. That's where uh-huh. I grew up. And um, um, so, Crossroads. It's actually deep in some respects in the shack is in terms of exploration of theological ideas. Part of the framing of both books is that imagery never intended, ever intended to define God. Yes. And, uh, and that's why all over scripture you have masculine imagery. Feminine imagery, you have paternal imagery, God is father, you have maternal imagery, God is a nursing mother, bouncing her baby on her hip, that's right out of Isaiah. God who's a woman who loses a coin, or uh, you've got God as a rock, or, in, or a fortress, or a tower, or a shield, uh, and we know God's not a rock, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and we, know he, we know he's not a mother hen who covers the chick. Mm-hmm. So, but those are all images. Uh, that is used to help us understand facets of the character and nature of God. In orthodoxy, God has never been male or female. All of maleness and all of femaleness has been the nature and character of God. And interestingly, even the Holy Spirit, from the second verse of the scriptures, uh, Genesis and verse 2 of chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is introduced as ruach, which is feminine, and the verbs are feminine. So, it's not that the Holy Spirit is female as opposed to male. It's just that maleness and femaleness are encompassed in the character and nature of God, which gives, you know, the writers of Scripture and the writers of creative work and uh, some latitude to use imagery to help us understand. Um, a lot of us have, uh, from the West and from uh, especially the White West, have uh, imagery for God the Father as sort of gan attitude, you know, the white-bearded, grandfatherly, distant, unapproachable, unreachable, unknowable, unemotional, uh, at best at best, watching from the infinite distance of disapproving heart God, you know, and um, that's imagery, but um, 
you know, it's just kind of a recompositing of Zeus and uh, some archaic, distant, angry deities. And we don't recognize in ourselves that oh, right. we've got those boxes that we put God inside. And, and I'm convinced that the only time you'll ever find God in a box is because God wants to be where we are, you know, so. Let me ask you about, I, I'm really conscious of the time, and I want to ask you about something that intrigues me apart from the books. Um, and it's your philanthropic activity with the Young Family Foundation. Can, oh, can, thanks. Yeah, can you tell me something, tell us something about what you're doing with that? Uh, there's a number of things that we're doing through that, um, and and a lot of it is connected to uh, relationships that we have. We've built a little baby house in Honduras and at a training center in Moldova, and and um, built a little school in Uganda, and um, but locally here, we're very involved in a uh, a group here called the Portland Leader Foundation, mm-hmm. and um, we've actually created a guest house where people coming through Portland, they get a, um, it just gives them a place, it's sort of a breakfast with uh, with a lot of grace of it, and that's tied into an internship program that is helping to raise the next generation uh, generation of nonprofit leaders, hmm. and uh, Portland Leadership is also um, very involved in both the uh, issues in the state with regard to uh, foster care, and also um uh, higher education for those who are coming out of disadvantaged situations. So there's a program called Act Six, which is one of the best in uh, of its kind in the country. That is um, is having an unbelievable impact, and we get to be present and 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 take some of the credit for uh, things that uh, Ben and Anthony and others are doing through Portland Leadership Foundation and then through uh, the Young Family Foundation, Hillside House, and all these other little pieces. Uh, it's kind of remarkable. We've all been, always been giving people, but this is just a us to uh, become the expressors of that in, in, in much more strategic way. Um, it's, it's incredible that we get to, to do some of these things. And kind of touch that we do and we're involved in it personally our um, one of our sons is right now uh, inside the bureaucracy of red tape in uganda because he and his wife are adopting Maisie, who is a year and a half old so uh, you know she's going to change our gene pool a bit but uh, which is all for the for the better and i was having this conversation with one of the grandbabies and she she's going to be a Maisie's sister oldest sister she says to me the other day, "So is uh, when Maisie's been here for a while? Is she gonna is she gonna get to be white?" <laughs> and uh, I said, "Oh, she oh she says oh she's always gonna be brown." And I said, "Yeah, she's always gonna be brown." And Elle, she looks for a second. She says, "Oh, that's good. You know, this family needs more brown babies." And uh, <laughs> and I'm going, "You have no." how beautiful you are and uh-huh. 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 and it is you know Maisie is the result of of inside family she is the the product of that but part of the part of the beauty involved here uh, and what and what Jesus is all about is that every single matters if he would leave the 99 to go find the one I'm thrilled involved with the one and um, whether that's a Tony or whether it's a cabbie or a Maisie in Uganda um I'm I'm thrilled to be part of this venture. Okay, I cannot close uh, the interview without asking you what what I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds. What's next? Do you have another book? 
Yeah, you know, I've always, it turns out <laughs> that I've, I've always been a writer ever since I was a kid, but I, right? I never thought anybody but friends and family would ever care. So it's kind of funny, but I'm, I've got about 10 different ideas that I'm working on at the same time, and we'll see what percolates to the top. And uh, like I say, I, I like being involved in this adventure. I don't, I don't even to understand it. Um, and I'm very comfortable just staying with the grace of one day and uh, trust, learning how to trust uh, and be the child. So, Okay. Well, I look forward to talking to you about the next one. And uh, I'm going to close by saying thank you so very much, Paul Young. It's, it's always a pleasure. You're, you're so great to talk to. Thank you so much. Uh, for Jeff, thank you. Everyone, this is a reminder that Paul Young's novel, Crossroads, is now available in hardcover and will be available in paperback in September. Crossroads Reflections, a 365-day devotional based on the novel, will also be published in September. The publisher is FaithWords, the sponsor of today's presentation. I'm Marcia Nelson, and this has been PW FaithCast. Thanks so much for listening.